How are we doing today, guys? We are... Welcome back. Back again. Us. Yes, back to Welcome the shit back. show that this podcast has turned into. <laughs> oh, yeah. What is this, our, th- our third episode since the since the back? Yeah, I just haven't uploaded the uh, second one yet. <laughs> you haven't uploaded it? We're oh. supposed to do this on a weekly basis. I forgot. Shut up. <laughs> weekly show. You know, to be fair, I, I did not post uh, my podcast last week either. Because I, didn't I even, lost my voice the day that I was going to to post that. I didn't so. even do mine, so don't feel bad. Yeah. I so at busy. the time of, of this recording, we've recorded a second episode, and we just haven't given it to our two people. Yeah, three so. people. It's three people now. Three people. Sorry, I'm I'm so used to it being like one guy. Yeah. You know, or gal, not to be sexist. Person. Let's just say person. Person. That one way. Person. That way, you don't get canceled. One person of ambiguous. <laughs> <laughs> I will get retroactively canceled for this crap. Okay. I'm a bad person. First thing we're going to touch on today for our news related topics. Heck yeah. They're not news related. It's really just random political shit. Yeah, because we so. didn't have anything planned. Uh- <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> we have our crap together. No, we don't. Shut up. Everything was planned. Okay. Everything was planned and uploaded. <laughs> We're talking about right. hate speech. So, speaking of speaking of hate speech, today we're we're going to discuss whether or not hate speech should, in fact, be protected under the First Amendment. Yeah. So, how do you, how do you define hate speech, Aaron? Sort of your personal thing. I uh, don't believe in it. It's not a thing. Okay. So it's not a it's not a conceptual category for you. Yeah. Gotcha. So, I, I think we both agree that there are there are things one can say that are hateful. Yes. Yes, most things that people say yeah. do, in fact, have hate somewhere in them. Oh, that's a really uh, that's a really pessimist. So, like, if I say I love you, is that that means you want something from me? Oh, God. Well, we're we're really getting dark here. Um. Okay. So I I think this this sort of debate sort of sparks from that that type of thing. Um, not, you know, people saying, I love you, and saying, what the hell do you want? Um, but we have things that we can say to each other that are just sort of objectively hateful and, and not really constructive and don't really further anything. They just kind of make the other person feel terrible about themselves. Um, and so I think a lot of it is coming from a, a sort of good-natured place, um, a lot of the sort of trying to, to curb hate speech, Um or what what is deemed hate speech in, in sort of a, a community basis, um, but I, I also think that you know things like cancel culture and, and stuff come out of that as well. So, do you think there's a a balance to it, or or do you think sort of everything should just go? I think when it comes to the the legal pro- part of this, anything should be allowed. Um, when it comes to social uh, requirements or restrictions, that's different. Because social okay. should not be legislated. Um, the freedom of speech is there to protect us from censorship. That's what it's there for. So we shouldn't legally make anyone not be able to say something. Now, socially, most yeah. people know you shouldn't say, like, f- queer to homosexuals. Like, a lot of people don't like that. 
Um, and if and if that's the case, you should know better than to say that because you're going to piss somebody off. Um, if they get all butthurt about it and feel like you're threatening their life, they need to grow a pair and man up. Oh. All right, so that's a that's a pretty pretty intense statement. Um, so what do you what do you think then about? Because a lot of what's what's coming out is sort of cancel culture or what people on the left sort of uh, sort of call an accountability culture, I guess. Um, it's not at the legal level. It's it's more at a either personal or say social media level and and stuff like that. Do you think that the government should step in in any sort of fashion to protect against that type of, uh, of barring or cancellation? Or do you think that they should stay out of it? Government needs to stay out of everything. It is the, it's the uh, social uh, climate that needs to be dictating whether or not that's allowed. And right now it's saying, yeah, it's allowed. Um, a lot of us don't agree with it, but that's what the social climate is saying is okay. So that's what's okay. Um, it is very important that I drive this home. The government is not supposed to actually have an effect on our lives. It is only there to protect us from foreign affairs. Gotcha. So I would take uh, a fairly different position from you. I'm I'm fairly radical free speech. I think that, generally speaking, uh, people should not be removed from public discourse unless they're breaking some sort of... Um, federal law, like sort of making a threat on someone's life, um, calling to violence, things like that. And I'm defining violence as physical violence against another human being and not uh, not any sort of like verbal violence. I, I think that that's a, a misapplication of the term. But at the same time, I do think that government is there to protect the rights of people, like free speech. And if organizations such as Facebook are infringing on that right, then the government does have a responsibility to step in and say, you can't do that. If you're going to be in a public forum or you're going to portray yourself that way in the tax code, then you need to act like like a public forum and and let everyone on the platform speak equally, uh, barring things again, like calling for violence or or things like that. So this is where we we start to see the big difference here of of how we think. Um, My thought process is more center on the government not being a part of that kind of stuff because the Bill of Rights, our our amendments, um, are not the government saying we have these. It's the government being restricted to not being able to change these. Um, Whereas what you just said is the government is granting us this. Whereas, you know, it's a born I I don't think they're granting us... I don't think it's a a granting issue. I think it's that um, I think they have a responsibility to to protect those things. And so they're involved to a a certain extent um, in in protecting them. But I I don't think that those rights are uh, are born by government. Okay. Okay. I can see that. So, so it's then, a, it's a slightly different fact. You're you're sort of a hardcore libertarian, and that government should stay out of everything uh, always. I'm slightly um, less libertarian on that. Right. Well, that brings me to my next uh, my next thing. Should the government be involved in crypto? Should they have any sort of legislation or? Um, 
requirements for crypto and how it's, you know, what process they use, if they use Ethereum or something like that, or, or a blockchain, or yeah. if, if uh, it needs to be based on something more uh, concrete. So I'm, I'm not quite as, as firm on that one. I don't think that crypto, for example, is, is posing any sort of threat to people's, uh, to people's rights as individuals. Um, and I, I really do, on a personal level, like the appeal of being able to have some sort of cryptocurrency and uh, make transactions with people that the government isn't able to do things like take taxes out of. Um, now, we do have laws in place currently that where cryptocurrency is treated like investments. So if you put $10 into cryptocurrency and you make $50 from it, you have to pay capital gains tax on that. Um, outside of sort of tax arguments, I, I think that that's, you know, at least a, a sort of reasonable uh, first response to it. But at the at the same time, I'm not sure that that it that the government should go any any farther in that since it's not, as far as I know, hurting anyone or, or keeping anyone from exercising their rights as individuals. Okay. See, my thought process, again, is that the government needs to keep their hands off of stuff. Um, <laughs> it is it is your sure. duty to be well informed about crypto uh, and what you use and what the processes are behind them to know how stable it's going to be. Um, so it's really all up to the consumer at that point rather than the government. Sure. Big daddy. <laughs> Big papa. Big papa. And see, yeah, this... So Go ahead. No, I was I was going to say one uh, one argument that I, I think I can't understand there is is that cryptocurrencies are not uh, are not FDIC insured, for example. So, in a bank, if if someone steals your money, you, that money is insured by the the federal government, even if the bank doesn't have it on hand um, up to a up to a certain amount. And so, in that sense, you know you're you're sort of protected. But the cryptocurrency that doesn't exist, and so despite the fact that uh, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum and all these sort of blockchain currencies that have checks in that sort of keep things from being stolen. If any of those systems were to, to fail in, in some sort of way um, or someone were to invest in a, in a cryptocurrency that wasn't as secure, there's uh, there's no sort of insurance on that. Uh, although I guess if, if you accept the insurance, you have to accept the taxes and other reg regulations that, that come along with that. So it's... It's hyper individualistic, and in that the the consumer is one hundred percent responsible for for what happens with their finances at that point. Right. Um, that kind of ties in well with the uh, the minimum wage argument of whether or not it should be raised. Um, so the the cool thing about minimum wage is the fact that if you raise it, the cost of living also goes up. So it kind of just is null and void as a as a solution to things. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. You most companies, for example, right now pay above the uh, the minimum wage of of seven twenty five an hour. Uh, so I I don't see really any people arguing for something like you know upping it to ten dollars an hour or something like that. It kind of goes straight to the the fifteen there. I'm of the opinion that I I think we should. Uh, we haven't really seen. Instances, especially recently, of increasing minimum wage uh, directly correlating to, to uh, 
um, increase in, in cost of living, um, at least not to the not to the extent that the wage increases. So if you go from like seven to nine dollars an hour, um, it's entirely possible that the cost of living will go up, but not as much as the the pay increase did. Um, so what I would be interested in seeing is is sort of an experiment on maybe the state level, where you have a state maybe that tries raising it to eleven or twelve dollars an hour, and just sort of seeing how that goes. Um, so I'm I'm in favor of sort of experimenting with things on a on a small level before you take it to the the national scale. Right. Well, minimum wage is supposed to be dictated by the states anyways, not the federal government. Um, well, we see how that worked out. Yeah, well, the federal <laughs> government has very greedy hands. Okay. Um, yeah. Speaking of greedy hands, screw, 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 <laughs> school truancy. Um, and I and I tie that in with the uh, the minimum wage because when you go to truancy court, you have to pay money. Um, whether that's going to be your fine or it's going to be cost of the court, um, it doesn't matter. You got to pay money. So it's kind of like the government is being a little greedy ass pig and uh, can't <laughs> can't stop stuffing its mouth full of your hard working cash. What are your thoughts on school truancy, David? I'm I'm not really sure that the. I, of course, I'm not sure exactly what the what the fines are, or how much they cost, but I'm not sure that it's a it's a greed thing. If it were uh, a ploy to get more money, then what you would have is uh, is an incentive to encourage kids to yeah. to be truants, thus gaining more money that way. And so I'm not sure that that's exactly uh, the the motivation there. I think it's possible that making someone actually pay a fine. Um, disincentivizes them to skip school, and I think that's probably the rationale behind it. Um, as far as decriminalizing it, I'm I'm really not sure. It kind of boils down to the the tenets uh, where where it gets on the spectrum again of of libertarianism uh, versus uh, authoritarianism, or or in its milder forms, uh, sort of trading freedom for security and and that kind of thing. So, I'm what are what are your thoughts on whether or not truancy should actually be an illegal thing. Um, well, first off, got to tackle this real quick. Schools should not be uh, public, uh, at least, you know, funded by okay. the federal government like they are. Um, they should they should be kept at state level, which for the most part, Texas does that. However, there are plenty of states that don't really pay their schools, and so the federal government has to step in. Um the next thing I need to tackle is the fact that truancy itself isn't a bad thing. In fact, we can tell from speeding tickets that fining people doesn't fix the issue. It just makes people pissed off for no reason. Um, there are definitely better ways to go about punishing for, you know, things that we don't want to encourage. So, um, actual bond time, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, making them stay in a jail for a week or so that kind of thing actually oh. fixes things <laughs> okay all right so you want to take 12 year old timmy <laughs> well, no i'm you saying for the say, ticket for the ticket stuff yeah truancy court truancy court you know you, you you take time <laughs> and you go and do you know community service or something like that 
um, where you actually learn a lesson because it sucks. Um, because paying money doesn't teach the kid, it teaches the parents. And typically, if you're skipping school, you, you don't right. really give a shit anyways. Um, which is interesting, given the fact that liberals want to change the voting age to 16. Um, it's really odd, given the fact that 16-year-olds are very irresponsible. Speaking for myself on that one. <laughs> As... As someone with the brain of a 16-year-old, I <laughs> it's, um It's a little aggravating, because if you're going to do that, you might as well fix the, uh, the nicotine, alcohol, and gun ages to 16 as well, or 18. Change them back, because what you're doing is you're saying, hey, you can, you can have a say in the government, but you can't have, you know... Yeah the fun of being an adult like you're trying to force these kids to be what is the uh, what's the enlistment age for the military again i think it's 17 is that correct yes it's 17 yeah so i mean i think where the uh, the voting age is coming from is like you know we have these things that that you can do at 16 or 17 um, and participate in but we don't let you participate in the process of of voting or or changing the government in any sort of significant way um, and so on that on that front, I, I sympathize with with that kind of thing. At the same time, I I think that young people's opinions are valuable. I think they can see things that older adults you know sort of can't see. I mean, they care about things that that older, older adults don't necessarily care about not in the same ways. Um, but at the same time, you know, sort of psychologically speaking and biologically speaking, brains are not fully developed until about twenty five years old. Um, and so to put a bunch of decision-making ability, and I think, you know, cars apply to this as well. I think putting that sort of responsibility and um, ability to engage in those types of things in the hands of someone who is about nine years away from having a fully developed brain, um, I, I think that's somewhat short-sighted. So I'd actually be in favor of, um, sort of raising those, those types of things a bit. Um, so what do you think about that, Aaron? Well, here's the cool thing. I'm perfectly okay with leaving it the way it is because it's working okay. well for the most part. Um, I think the issue doesn't lie within the government's regulations and rulings on you know age. I think it has to do with parenting in the fact that parents don't listen to their kids or grandparents. Sure. Um, because you make a you make a good point when it comes to kids, you know, teenagers seeing things and having perspectives and caring about things that the older generations don't care about or, you know, really think about. Um, so you make a valid point there. So the, the problem isn't the age. The problem is parents not listening to those concerns. Yeah. And that's, that's fair. And I, I you make a good point, which is, you know, if the system isn't, you know, breaking 90% of the time, then maybe you shouldn't make any sort of drastic changes to it. Um, and obviously, sort of changing the age on those things would be more drastic than parents changing their, their attitudes or how they're listening to their children and, and things like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, that uh, wraps up our news category or our, our political... political. Yeah, I think none of that was news. Yeah, yeah. whatever. Um, not even a bit of it. We are not informative here. 
Yeah, no, you just get to listen to our opinions. Um, you want to do your religious spiel? So I don't really have a spiel on this, um, <laughs> but we we do have we've got a story. We've got a, a story that, that Aaron and I both wanted to talk about because we both um, listened to it and, and talked about it somewhat recently. Um, so this is in Luke 15. It's the it's the parable of the the lost son. Do you want me to give a, a sort of recap on that? Do I want to, or did you say you want to? No. Yeah. Do you do you want me to, or would you like to give the uh, the recap? I don't care. You know, I'll start with the recap. How about okay. this? I'll okay. start with the recap, and you tell me, you know, what I'm missing. Okay. Yeah. Because that's that. You read it more recently than I did. All right. So, essentially, what happens is is Jesus is is telling telling this little parable, right? And the father has two sons, an older son and a younger son. The younger son is kind of an impulsive type, little little entitled. So he says, Dad, I want my inheritance now, even though you're not dead, and I'm greedy. Um, so father gives him the inheritance. The younger son goes off, and he sort of blows all of the money. Um, sort of like, you know, parents give their, their young white teenager a, a bunch of money, and teenagers like yeah i'm gonna buy all the lipstick in like this stupid car that i can't drive yet and so he goes off and he spends all the money and he does that for a few years the older son uh, stays back and eventually the younger son realizes that he's not finding any sort of meaning or purpose from all of this frivolous spending and so he goes back and he says you know dad i'm i'm really sorry uh, i messed up and instead of reacting like many parents would in sort of anger, the father says, you know what, it's okay, son, we're going to have a giant party. And so they throw a big party. And the, the older son is, is kind of upset about this because he's like, you know, dad, I was here for, for ages and I worked my freaking butt off for you. And, and you threw this giant party for the, the younger son who blew all the stuff, but you know, that type of party for me. Uh, I can't remember what the, what the ending was sort of after that, Aaron. Do you remember? Uh, that's pretty much where it, lay, where it goes off. Okay. I'll read the, uh, the final verse of that chapter. It says, My son, the father said, you were always with me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother was dead and, and he's now alive again. He was lost and is now found. Uh, so yeah, what are your, what are your thoughts on, on that sort of story, Aaron? So my, my thoughts are that it, it shows that we shouldn't be um, we shouldn't be holding grudges because of, you know, something that not too terrible, but kind of mistreating, uh, does. I don't know what I just said. Um, we shouldn't hold grudges over mistreatment, but rather we should celebrate when they go and find themselves again and they go to apologize or in this particular case, um, lower themselves to earn the respect and have the things they need. Um, we should, we shouldn't be passing judgment, essentially. Um, it's not our place and we should just be grateful that the person has fixed themselves and is now willing to go about life in a more respectable way. Yeah. So sort of in a modern way of, of thinking about it, you see a lot of parents who, um, who are their children, you know, will go off and do something that they that they really disagree with on, on some sort of fundamental level. I see this specifically in, say, Christian families who their child grows up and, and becomes an atheist uh, and starts sort of either resenting their faith or, or just throwing it out entirely. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of sort of disappointment there. 
And I think one of the traps that a lot of those parents fall into is uh, they sort of feed the resentment back toward the, the, the kid and they start, you know, feeling like they, uh, they've wronged them in a bunch of different ways and there's, there's no way to, to get them back. Um, and I, I think what the, what the parent shows in this story is, you know, one, they, one, they might come back and, and two, you know, even if they, they don't, it's not healthy to sort of harbor this sort of resentment toward them. I think if the father in this story had, had had that resentment, he wouldn't have been able to, to open up to the kid once he, once he did come back of his, of his own accord. Yeah. It's, uh, it really speaks volumes of how we're supposed to live as, um, uh, some type of Christian. Um, we're not going to put a label on who we are, but, um, it, it shows that we're not supposed to be the God fearing, uh, judger. We are rather the God fearing lover. And for those who want to come back into our lives and who have changed and fixed themselves, we should open our arms and welcome them. And if they screw up again, so be it. Protect yourself if you need to. But right. come to the realization that they're people and they're going to screw up. And that's natural. We should be okay with that. Yeah, one thing I, I did have a um, sort of, I guess, first uh, first hearing it reaction was I kind of sympathized with the with the older son, um, and there were there were reasons that were brought up for, you know, why his reaction was the the wrong one. But I, I definitely sympathized with the thought. It's like, hey, I stayed here and, and worked for you all these years and never got you know this good of a, a treatment. Um, do you sympathize with the older son, or do you do you think his reaction was was sort of just sort of in the wrong? See, I sympathize with both brothers. Um... When I was younger, I used to be super stingy and um, entitled. Obviously, that's changed. Um, but Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, don't, I don't like that I still connect with that, but it is something that I, I still connect with. Um, and I sympathize with the older brother because I've spent – most of my time with my dad working on stuff and sometimes I feel mistreated. I feel like I've got less and it's not because, you know, he doesn't value me. It's just simply because there are better things to be celebrating than someone who's sticking by your side. Um, right. And, and not fucking up and learning about themselves. Yeah. So one interpretation that was brought up when I, um, when I voiced this in the, in the group that I originally read this with, um, was at it's implied that the the reason the son the older one was staying in the first place was because he felt like that was the best way to get the most inheritance um, and not because of any sort of responsibility to his father or uh, or because he felt like that was the right thing to do um, he he just kind of wanted the the glory and the and the gifts that that came from that um, do you think that's a fair reading or do you think that's off i think it's it's partially fair but also off um, when okay. I first read it, I had the thought that he was a hardworking individual and felt mistreated, mis, uh, misvalued. There we go. Um, and didn't understand why he was celebrating someone who had done him wrong. Um, that was my original interpretation. And I, that might just be simply projecting onto the story. 
Well, I think that's that's one of the things, uh, not in just this story, but sort of in the biblical stories in general, is there is this sort of um, ambiguity and uh, sort of interpretation to it that you that you have to bring in. I mean, there are some fundamental truths to that. The, the fundamental truth of this story is that when someone goes astray, um, you shouldn't build up resentment for them. You should hope that they come back, and, and then if they do, or when they do, uh, you should celebrate that, and you should be grateful for it rather than you know, holding onto this resentment about the fact that they went off for X number of years and and did whatever they did. Um, so I think that's the that's the fundamental truth of the story. But then the the part that's up for interpretation, I think, is that is that sort of older brother part. Um, sort of is he justified in, in feeling the way he is? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think this this wraps up what we're doing here. Um, Sorry, it's a shorter episode. It's almost thirty minutes. But now, before we before we before we do this, what Aaron? What you've turned a question on me the past couple of episodes, and I I think that <laughs> I need to do the same and make you uncomfortable. I'm going to make this as general as possible for you. Um, do you have any advice for people? Yeah, yeah, I actually do. Um, if you Son see if you see something that you don't agree with, um, even if it might cause a confrontation go ahead and step up for yourself step up in your morals and be the bull be the strong-headed bull say hey this isn't right you know uh don't do this or or be kind or whatever the issue is and don't don't be a dick about it obviously show up with some grace but make yourself firm and make sure that they at least see that you're serious about that issue you know, it's interesting you say that because I've I've actually been thinking about that exact thing um, for the the past few days here. You know, and when you're in a particular social group, and I'll use po- politics as an example here, um, say you're in a, a group of, of liberals or, or or a group of conservatives, and you have an opinion that's that's sort of contrary to them. I I think that there's a lot of, of social pressure there and that you know you feel like you have the wrong opinion and if you say that type of thing um then you're sort of going to be going to be ousted from the the group but i was watching a sort of i was watching a podcast which is weird to say it was a video okay but it was also a podcast you know that kind of thing that we're not doing um and one of the things they were talking about is is this social pressure and the fact that it's actually better to just say what you believe to be true um, and and accept the consequences from that. And that's something that I sort of struggle with personally. So I'm not, Aaron, I, I think that you struggle with that a little bit less. You uh, you kind of have the personality that you're just going to say what you think and, and that's going to be that. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm sure to at least some extent you've, you know, sort of felt that kind of pressure. It's like, if I say this thing, I'm going to rub some people the wrong way. Yeah. Um, in certain scenarios especially here recently where i'm subjugated to a a different type of audience than i'm I'm normal to um it's been interesting to find a sweet spot of saying my truth and not being a dick about it um because i tend to come off like a dick um if it wasn't obvious already and so finding a sweet spot where i still can say my piece but be represented when I say that piece as someone who's just saying their piece instead of coming off as an absolute douche nozzle uh, has been a struggle. <laughs> I've never heard that term. I, I appreciate you bringing that to my attention. Yes, it's a great term. You should use it. Um, 
so I guess now we're going to end this. Um, yeah, uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up. Yeah, go ahead and, and plug your podcast. Sure. So, oh, yeah, no, we'll link it in the in the thing. It's Right now, its current title is A Psycho-Literary Analysis of Biblical Stories. Um, again, I will be changing that at some point to something that sounds a little bit less pretentious. Um, but that's essentially a podcast where I talk about stories um, in the Bible from a literary and psychological point of view, uh, similar to what we what we did today in this podcast with that uh, with that New Testament story. Um, sort of avoiding the extremes of throwing out the Bible as mere superstition, um, and also taking it as literal in, in all of its uh, all of its interpretations. So. Um, I'm enjoying that so far. Again, I, I missed a week because my voice was gone, but I'll be posting an episode this uh, this Sunday. Um, and then I'll also be doing an episode with uh, with Aaron on that one the week after that. Yeah. Um, if you guys are interested in gaming, you can follow me on Twitch at Kapui underscore call. That is K-A-P-O-O-W-E underscore C-A-L-L. Uh, you can find me on YouTube at the same name where I post bass boosted and slowed down music. And if you need a workout plan, feel free to hit me up somehow, some way, and uh, we can we can yeah. get you set up. Um, okay. All right. Well, everything. Uh, thank you, everyone, for your, your time and, uh, and attention. Hopefully you're enjoying this podcast so far. Uh, I, don't, I don't have anything else. Aaron, you got any other closing thoughts? No, sir. That is it. Thank you guys for joining, and you all have a great one. Thanks, guys.